Welcome to I Love This Thing So Freaking Much, a podcast about passion. My name is Sophie Katz, and today I am joined by Jesse, who has been wearing things all their life and making those things since they were eight years old. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Hi, uh, thanks for having me, Sophie. Oh, thanks for being here. So here's how this works. Jesse will have three minutes to talk about something that they love. This can be a person, place, thing, concept, activity, anything they want. Our only requirement is that they love it wholeheartedly and want to tell us why. Are you ready, Jesse? Yes. Good. Got my timer here. Now, what do you love so freaking much? I love the entire concept, the anthropology, the history, and the creation of humans putting on things. So we're talking about mostly clothing. But way, way back in the day when the early humans first discovered that the environment kind of sucks and we want to shield ourselves from it. And they started covering their bodies with bits of leaf, bits of other animals' skin, hides. And it just morphed from there. And they discovered that if something that they put on their body didn't stay, you could maybe like put some holes in it and a piece of grass and sew it together. Or if something was too big, you could cut it. Or if it was too small, you could put it with other smaller pieces and maybe go up and over. And how that transformed into early garments, the entire practices of weaving and sewing and embroidery and adhesion, joining, leathercraft, tanning, all of that stems from the human desire to cover their body because the sun is hot. And sometimes it's cold and we don't have fur and how it just, it goes from there. And I I started sewing when I was eight and realizing that, oh, I can make a thing and wear it and put my own spin on it. And then I just got back into the, the history of why we do this stitch and why is this done this way? And why are all the clothes that you buy off the rack the same size when people are different sizes? And it goes back and back and back and back decades, hundreds, thousands of years, way, way back. Like the first magic that people talk about is the joining magic. And you can, it's it's sewing. It's putting holes in one plane and holes in another plane and putting something in between those holes to join those two planes together. And sewing itself gets into geometry. If you take a big flat thing, like a hide or a piece of fabric, and it's two-dimensional, and by cutting it into smaller pieces and putting those pieces together, you create something that is three-dimensional. So cutting something and making it smaller adds an entire dimension. That's geometric magic. How cool is that? And then humans learned, well, we have the threads going over and under. What if we looped them instead? And then you get into weaving and knitting and crochet and stretches. And did you know that Argyle socks... The socks that you see that are argyle and they have that crisscross pattern that's basically plaid but turned to the side originally came from plaid fabric that was woven, but they cut the socks on the bias of the fabric, which is the 45 degree angle between the warp and the weft. Go ahead and finish your thought. In that part, the fabric stretches a little bit. So before they invented knitting, they learned to put plaid in the stretchy parts. And that's why we have argyle. It's plaid to the side. That's awesome. Thank you for telling us about the history of humans wearing things today. Yeah, you're welcome. I have a lot more I could say. <laughs> oh, well, now we get to keep talking about it. Uh, but first, I wanted to ask, because you mentioned that you didn't call this the history of clothing, because there were things that people put on before what we would think of as clothing. Talk a little yeah. more about that. Yeah, exactly. I got into clothing, but then as I started to go back and back, I just realized that it goes further than that. It's not necessarily clothing. 
which have this connotation with it of conspicuous consumption, wealth signifying, showing social status based on what you own. It goes deeper than that into a society that didn't have those markers of just putting a thing over your body for a purpose. Mm -hmm. Wearing a hide to stay waterproof, wearing fur to stay warm back in the Neolithic ages. And even in the Neolithic ages, very quickly, you can see in some of the archaeological records that people started realizing that, oh, the animals can sort of show their status within their social groups by how they look, like lions grow manes, gorillas grow silver backs when they're the leader, but humans don't really do that. But they started to with the things that they wore. They would do a little bit more stitch work or they'd sew in these bones or they'd stitch this in a certain way or use these feathers as a way of borrowing from around them and adding onto their own bodies to make those social signifiers that later became clothing and hot and fashion. It sounds like it all started with like a practical need, like protecting ourselves from the world around us. And then yes. it became art. It became culture. It became something with extra meaning. Yeah. When there's something that you need and there's a practical need for it, there grows up around that a practice or a craftsmanship of doing the thing. Then there become hierarchies of the thing itself. Like there's one that was quickly made and there was one that was made with more time. And then there was one made by somebody who really knew what they were doing and they put heart and soul into it. And you can look at those three things and see the one that has more human touch and mastery and time put into it as being better and therefore worth more because of the time that went into it. And eventually it comes into social signaling of I'm wearing the thing that took more time. Therefore, it is better than yours. Therefore, I am better than you, which is not necessarily a true thing, but we see that happening over and over and over again in society. And then the factories can turn it on its head because what once took 5,000 hours now it takes just a little bit in a factory. And then the rich people get mad because everyone's wearing the cool stuff now and we don't look cool anymore. You talked about different innovations in the history of people wearing things like weaving, sewing, embroidery, and many more. Do any of these stand out as your favorites? Personally, I love the jacquard weaving loom. So jacquard is a type of fabric where the warp, which is the long threads, there's two of them going on at the same time. Like there's a blue one and a gold one. And the weft, which is the thread that goes across with the shuttlecock, there's only one of those. So in a jacquard loom, there will be a certain sequence of A, forward, B, backward, C, forward, D, forward, etc., etc., for every time that the shuttlecock goes across it. So that when the fabric is done, there's a design. And on one side of the fabric, it's a blue background with a gold design. And the other side of the fabric, it's a gold fabric with a blue design, which is back in the day was a really cool way of weaving fabric. But it's also the foundation of the binary system. How you would tell the loom what sequence of yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no for the warp threads to weave next is early binary. And it was done with cards with little holes punched on them. You're kind of blowing my mind here. <laughs> exactly the same as the punch cards of early computers, because early computers are based on jacquard looms. And if you look at the computers that sent Neil Armstrong to the moon, the wires that make them up 
are woven over, under, over, under, over, under. And the punch cards doing the data would just tell the wires, yes, fire an electron, or no, don't fire an electron. The Jacquard loom is the world's earliest computer as we know it, as a binary system. So cool. Yeah, the, the history of people wearing things is the history of people doing everything. <laughs> yeah, it is. And rivets in metal, when you have a, a big beam in a building and it's riveted to another beam where there's a hole in both of them and you put the rivet through and then you weld it together, that's sewing. <laughs> Just with big metal beams and a welder instead of fabric and a needle. The Empire State Building is sewn together. Is there anything that you don't like about the history of people wearing things? And if so, how do you handle that? The Industrial Revolution. Mm. So it used to be that clothing was made on a per-person basis because not every body is shaped the same. And it would take a long time and you had to go to people who knew what they were doing to make it for your body. Cool. Everybody gets clothes that fit them and they're made to last. So when you have a hole in it, you patch it up because that takes a long time and it's expensive. The Industrial Revolution comes along, blah, 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 capitalism, factories. And now... We have clothing made in factories that is not made to the specific person, but it's made to a general average that may or may not actually exist, which is why the clothes off the rack don't fit you. And you are expected to take that piece of clothing off the rack and make alterations to it to fit you. But we've lost that over the years. So now people just buy off the rack and wear it and it doesn't always look good. Yeah, it wasn't until you just said it just then. It never even occurred to me that Taking that t-shirt home and adjusting it yourself would be something that I could do. Not only can you do it, you're expected to. And all the stars on the Walk of Fame, they look so good in that same t-shirt, they've had it altered. That's the secret ingredient that everyone's supposed to be doing, but nobody's doing. And it's the same with the sizes. The sizes are completely arbitrary and made up. There is no unifying caucus between fashion brands or even two different factories that both produce for the same brand that unifies the shapes and measurements to a specific size. They're completely random, especially for women's sizes. Way back in the day when everyone was making their own clothes, you would find sizes on the back of the pattern that you bought. And that went from zero to 30. And zero is an infant. And it would go up to like 12 is a preteen-ish. And 18 is my size. I am five foot tall. So way back in the day, they would say, oh, well, Marilyn Monroe was a size 12 or whatever. Yeah, the size of a preteen. Somewhere between the 40s and the 60s, the fashion house has decided that's not fun. Everyone wants to be a smaller size. So we're going to start over and have little girl sizes be 0 to 12. And then we're going to start over with a women's 0 and make that a 12. And then a women's 2 will actually be a 14 and a 4 will actually be a 16. And that's how the one fashion house did it. And it was successful. So are the other ones started doing it too with their own math and their own starting points and their own, this is how much it means when a whole size goes up. And it's unfortunate. It creates so much confusion and pressure on something that is both practical and could be a real joy. Yeah. And don't even get me started on ordering clothes from China. The inch here in America is an imperial measurement and the inch over in China is also an imperial measurement, but they are not the same measurement. The inch is not international. The Chinese inch is 0.762 of the American inch. So either 
find a Chinese measuring tape to do all your measurements before you go and order clothing from China, or just use centimeters because they're international everywhere. Jesse, thank you so much for telling us about something you love today. You're welcome. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. If you'd like to learn more about the history of humans wearing things or our guest, Jesse, you can find their social media information in the episode description. And if you have something you love so freaking much you want to tell me all about it, consider this your invitation to join the show. I Love This Thing So Freaking Much is a production of Through the Window Media. This episode was directed and edited by Sophie A. Katz. You can find us at Through the Window on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Tumblr. That is T-H-R-O-U, the window, at all those social media sites. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and you'll hear from us again soon.